It wasn't true until I seen Adam Schefter breaking news. Wow. This person has signed. That's how much respect that you have. My name is Cam Newton Assam, Mr. Boogie to All. And today we're in for a treat because we at Iconic Saga produces content for the masses and funky stuff for your asses. We are in a treat for a guest that needs no introduction if you're in the sports world. And I owe him a big pat on his back for not only entrusting in me, but allowing me to have this, let's say dance, but this interview. Mr. Adam Schefter. First of all, I never come onto my podcast with words like that, an introduction <laughs> like that. I never have a crew like this. I never got cigars like this. You are big time, no. and I'm just honored to be with you here this evening. This is an impressive setup here, right. Cam. Thank you. Appreciate it. So I was going through a lot of things, and I was like, what is Adam Schefter? Like, the job title. Like, if you were to give me a business card right now, it would say Adam Jeffrey Samuel Bartholomew Schefter, right? What would the job title be? Because... I like to think of myself as a plain, simple guy, right? Mm. A by-the-book kind of guy. Right. So ESPN calls me senior national insider, I think, or senior NFL insider. I don't even know my official title. Right. Senior NFL insider. So that would be my title, mm -hmm. something that I've now done for 32-plus years. Wow. 32-plus years since 1990. I'm 32. That, so I've done it as long as I started covering the NFL in 1990. You born in 1990? 89. There we go. And so... That makes me senior, right. not as senior as Chris Mortensen, mm -hmm. who's very senior. He's the very senior NFL right. insider, and I'm just the senior NFL insider. And your job is, I think, in a way, to just look after everything that happens in the National Football League, right. whether it's a player being signed, traded, coach being hired or fired, mm -hmm. any injuries, moves. Right. There's so much interest in the players, right. in the sport, that your job is to... Do the best job you can covering it, right. which is not always easy. Right. But that's what we do. Right. I think I think the thing right here that I will my first question would be covering the NFL for so long. And when you talk about validation and and I remember certain issues in the world of sports. It wasn't true until I seen Adam Schefter breaking news. Wow. This person has signed. That's how much respect that you have. So you, it's almost like you got this branding stamp that if he said it, it's true. Sometimes fortunately and sometimes unfortunately because it may not always be good news. So with that said, I think your, your life and the reason why I ask you what your job description is because so much of what I see you do and a lot of other people see you do is you, know, you tweet. I mean, you're always on the phone. Even when you're on air, you're like always on the phone. And at what time of your career, out of those 32 years, did you start realizing, like, man, what is this Twitter thing? Like, this is a real-life thing, and I can use this to my benefit to deliver information to the world or for the world to see. First of all, for you to say that for me to stamp somebody or stamp yeah. an issue is true, that, that's as nice a compliment as somebody could hear. Mm -hmm. Because... There are so many times that you're doubted a question, I could go through a mm -hmm. list of things, and there are people that are questioning, criticizing, whatever it may be, but you're just trying to be accurate and fair. Mm -hmm. 
And so to hear that, that warms my heart. Yeah. To know when it's taking shape, it's hard to tell, but I can tell you this, the amazing thing to me is that when I left NFL Network in the spring of 2009, mm. over 13 years ago, right. when ESPN hired me, and this is hard to imagine, I didn't have a Twitter profile or a Twitter in 2009? Setup in 2009. Did not have a Twitter account. Wow. That's what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. So I get hired at ESPN, and I start in August of 2009. I started my Twitter account in July, June or late June of 2009. Mm -hmm. ESPN hired me in April. So they hired me in April. I start Twitter mm -hmm. in June. I'm on air for the first time in, in August. And it's hard for me to think that in this day and age, so much is about social media, Correct. followings, platforms. Correct. And when I entered the world at ESPN, I didn't have any of that. I had no Instagram account. Mm. I had no Facebook account. I had no Twitter account. And I had no pod, like no nothing. Right. So I, I still, it's hard for me to understand that mm -hmm. they would give me that chance right. to develop into the person and reporter that you're mm -hmm. referring to. Correct. When it's all relatively new. Right. So here we are sitting in, you know, modern day times, right? And me having seven children, my oldest kids are seven? Seven. What's seven. the age range? You got sixteen, you got fifteen, you got six, you got wow. five, you got three, you got two, and you got two. Seven. Any more coming or that's it? Man, I need some more. You want they, more? They give me my purpose. They give me my purpose. Really? And, you know, I'm not, I'm not the person to, to boast and brag about, you know, having something and not really taking it serious. Anybody who knows me know, like, I'm a hands-on dad. And, I could see that. And, you know, the thing is, and this is why this comes full circle, because as NFL players, as most polarizing and as popular as the NFL game is, and I've always been on record to say the Super Bowl should be a national holiday. It is. You know what it I'm saying? Is a national holiday. The way the way people kind of gravitate and how it brings so many different people, cultures, religions, you know, uh, whatever together and happiness, it should be a holiday, right? Just like Christmas. But you know, for me, football doesn't give you a face. We're we're masked athletes, right? And for so long, I was trying to step outside of the the the, the realm of you know, hey, I really love art. I really love John Michel Basquiat, right? Which was one of the inspirations of me growing my hair the way I grew mm, my hair. Wow. And it's like, I really love fashion. So when Cam's being caught wearing these exotic hats and all these different things, it's like, oh man, I would never wear that. But it's like, I'm trying to say to the world, like these are the things that I'm into. NFL is a great establishment. NBA is a great establishment entity, but they're doing things that promotes them. And that's fair, right? But at the end of the day, the NFL, it's hard for people to kind of see when certain people walk in. Now, when Tom Brady walks in, you know, oh, man, that's, you know, in some places he may be recognized as Giselle's husband. Right. But in more places in, in the U.S., I would say, you know, he's Tom Brady. You know who Odell is. You know who, right. you know, Russell Wilson is. You know who Aaron Rodgers is. But what about Aaron Darnold? What about Von Miller? You know, and not to say that they're not noticed. Right. But at the same time, we have things that makes us human. And to this point with me having kids, I'm more relatable as a father, as a black father, rather than as an NFL quarterback. And 
That's I didn't cool. know that you had, so that's amazing to me. Yeah. Good for you. Yes, sir. And where does your fashion sense come from? Church. Church. Born and raised in a church. So my father's a preacher, still is a preacher, oversees five different ministries. And growing up in church, I went to a Pentecostal church, which is, I didn't start watching NFL football until college, really. I mean, the Falcons had went to the uh, NFC Championship, um, I think in 2004, but I wasn't really paying attention until everyday um, you know, NFL football until I was up in age. I was more college, right? And growing up in church, my grandmother, you know, even though the Bible says, come as you are, I wasn't walking in there with no flip-flops and no sandals and no socks and no gym shorts or whatever. We had to iron our clothes the night before. My dad taught me at an early age how to polish shoes. He taught me at an early age, you know, certain things that it, it rolled over into my adult life in fashion, from tying ties, bow ties, lapel pins, pocket squares, belts, socks, no socks, things like that. And it just, you know, I just felt comfortable with, with, with being in a business, um, business casual look or, you know, business attire. Do you pass that on to your kids now? Do they have snazzy outfits like you do and cool hats and things like snazzy, that? Snazzy, cool hats? I don't know. <laughs> but at the same time, I see, I see differences in my children. And I'm able to see uh, Kamitis in a different sense than I see Chosen. And Chosen is completely, di I dress them all completely different because they all have their own personalities. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's the biggest opponent that I've been trying to preach since day one when I walked into the NFL, it was like, be uniquely you. You know what I'm saying? And oftentimes we don't have opportunities to do that. So this is why this is my platform at Funky Friday where I want to dive into your background. I want to dive into, you know, what makes you tick because you're diving into mine. And even if you didn't know certain things before, now you know and you can understand Cam Newton in a different space. And for me, as I'm dressing my children differently, and I know from the dressing, they start, uh, they start having the, their own personas and personalities kind of come to life. And even the people behind the scenes who are producers of the show, they're able to kind of see, man, you know, Suge, who's Comitis, you know, he has his own personality, just like Sovereign Dior and things like that. And as they grow old, they start, you know, walking into their greatness, walking into their uniqueness. And when I first came into the league, everybody was like, oh, man, no, you got to be like Peyton Manning. Oh, man, you got to be like Tom Brady. Yeah. Oh, man, you got to be like this person, that person. And I'm like, I'm different. I don't want to be that. But that doesn't make them better than me. That doesn't make me better than them. We all are completely different and we attack the game in a different manner. And I don't think people were ready to embrace that. But now when I look around the league, you see Lamar Jackson's, uh, the Kyler Murray's, the Dak Prescott's, the minority quarterbacks now. And I don't even think they're minority quarterbacks no more. They're majority quarterbacks. And now the Matt Ryans and the Matthew Staffords are the minority talent. That's a great way of looking at it. I never thought of it like that. Yeah. Can I steal that sometime and use it on there? Absolutely. That's pretty good. I Absolutely. like that. Absolutely. You know, when I came into the league, the only African-American quarterbacks that were still, still starting quarterbacks was Donovan McNabb, yeah. Michael Vick. That's it. Yeah, it's it's it's... So, so what has changed? Is, is it become more accepted? Are people like what's changed? Why all of a sudden is it now the majority as opposed to the minority? The what's game's the biggest changed. difference? The game's changed, 
and the game's changed where even Aaron Rodgers is not even, you know, this drop back quarterback because he can and he has the capabilities to affect the game using his feet, which makes him a dual threat, right? And when you see a guy like Josh Allen, uh, exceptional talent that big, strong, but as accurate as a Patrick Mahomes. And now we're always looking for the new best thing or the new next thing. And with that, you, you know, defenses have always been able to just run a man coverage, have four to five man pressures, and just throw off timing in the passing game. You do that now, if somebody takes the wrong passing lane, now the quarterback is the, the, the biggest weapon. It only takes Lamar Jackson one time to scramble for 32 yards, and then you will never see cover two man or cover 55 or cover 88, however you want to cut it and, and, and cook it. You'll never see that in. Is there one of these guys that you watch today that even you were impressed by? You say, man, this guy, he's special. Man, I, first off, I think as, as, as a sports fan, let's just call a spade a spade. We've been lucky to see the games that we've seen. I'll take you back, right? The NFL play, tell me a time in your 32 years that you've seen an NFL playoff series of games. There was no, you know, I remember, I remember tweeting after the Saturday games when Cincinnati beat Tennessee mm -hmm. and San Francisco beat Green Bay. I said, let's see the NFL top that tomorrow. Right. And the next day, it was the Rams beat the Buccaneers right. in the early game. Mm -hmm. And then in the afternoon game, it was the, the Kansas Chiefs City's, beating the Bills. The, the Bills. And it did beat it. it. And then the Super Bowl wasn't shabby either. Super Bowl is a great game. You know. Conference championship games. Not only that, so from there to uh, the March Madness, you know, people will argue to say, and I don't know what the ratings were, but the UNC Duke game in the Final Four was just as. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what? You know what's funny about that? They were what? saying, oh, one of the greatest games ever played. And I'm not saying it wasn't. Mm -hmm. I happened to be at the 1989, shows you how old I am, 1989 Michigan Illinois final four game on Saturday mm. in which there were, if my memory serves me correct, in Seattle, Washington, 32 lead changes. 32. I think in the Duke, North Carolina game, there were roughly half that. But there wasn't Twitter back then either. There wasn't Twitter <laughs> and there wasn't the memory. And so everyone's saying, this is one of the greatest games ever. 16 lead changes or whatever mm -hmm. the number was. Correct. This was a game, Michigan, Illinois, mm -hmm. in Seattle. I'm a senior at the University of Michigan. Mm. I'm in Seattle with all my college buddies. Right. We sold tickets to the event to fund our trip out there together. Wow. And there were 32 lead changes. And Illinois, I could tell you all the players from all that game. Yeah. Like, I remember everything about it. Right. And that game mm -hmm. was unbelievable. And I would put that game up against your Duke, North Carolina game this year. So even then, we have been spoiled to the degree of some great, you know, sporting events. You know, even being from Atlanta to see the Atlanta Braves, you know, win a win when they pin it, it was just like, oh my God, like this is yeah, but that's what sports does, right? It, it, it provides hope and memories. Right. So you have the memories that it creates, mm -hmm. whether it's the Braves, Duke, North Carolina, right. the playoff games that you're referring to, and the hope that your team mm -hmm. will have one of those magical hope. runs right. 
and do it as well. Just like you just said, I was there in attendance in 1989 at that game. People want to say I was there at that game when Cooper Cup made that 48-yard, you know, post-catch, da-da-da-da-da, and Tom Brady's supposedly last game, but he's back, right? And that that's what sports does, you know. So while and, I'm, and there are people out there mm-hmm. that have Cam Newton in their memories yeah. as some of the great games of all time. Correct. And so you hold a special spot to those fans right. that cheered you on, that you mm-hmm. provided a memory for that is as important to them mm-hmm. in a way right. as your sporting memories are, my right. sporting memories are. Right. It's a huge part mm-hmm. of our lives, society, and the reason why sports are as popular as they are today. I'm, I'm, I'm going to answer your question, and I'm going to come back to that, to that point you just said. As a fan of, of the game, I think it's multiple players that stand out to me. Uh, number one, not, not, not being controversial by anything, I think Deshaun Watson is, if not the top three quarterbacks, just with his skill set and his talent. It's, it's, it's crazy what he's went through, and I hope everything works out. But when I see Josh Allen, right, and I see what Matthew Stafford was able to do with the talent that he had, it only validates, you know, how and what he was for that skill set is rare. You know, when he made the no look, you know, kind of dig throw to, uh, uh, in the Super Bowl, like people, it just flashed past and it was just like, hold on, wait, what? You didn't, you didn't appreciate that until days after the Super Bowl and you was like, damn, like he had that in his bag to do, but he's been doing that so long in Detroit, but he wasn't playing meaningful games. Let's mm-hmm. just call it a spade a spade, right? When I see Patrick Mahomes and Patrick has changed the game, he's the football Steph Curry, where he's like the the flash in the frying pan that like everybody loves when you're at like the the Chinese steakhouse or the Benihana's and you're like, oh, like. And uh, you see these different athletes, and how dare we forget about Lamar as if his skill set is not elite too. So. I'm a person, man, that I'm a fan of everybody. And every time I sit up here and watch, you know, Aaron Rodgers or even Tom Brady work, it's just like, how can you hate their greatness for what it is? And when you're talking about Super Bowls, when you're talking about wins, one thing that I've grown to understand about sports as a whole, as a football player and as an athlete, there's so many different determining factors of a football game that people don't kind of give the notion to or the respect to. Like... I need so much of my offensive line to help me so that I can be as great as I am as an athlete. So when you talk about Brady and his, and his Super Bowl rings, when you're talking about the MVPs from Aaron Rodgers and things like that, he had an unbelievable support cast that allowed him to be who he was. You know, it's amazing. Again, I think back in my time covering the National Football League, and mm-hmm. I remember when I was covering it, and John Elway, Jim Kelly, Dan Marino came in in the same draft class, mm. 1983. And when they were leaving the game, people wondered, well, who is going to carry the torch? Who's going to carry the mantle? And I would venture to tell you that the game today, with the quarterbacks in it, Mm. never has been in a better place with more great quarterback play than ever before in NFL history. All at once. There are so many great quarterbacks, Mm -hmm. so many great people at what they do. And so the league is in a great spot. So the franchise quarterback is in a great position for a lot of different franchises, just to see what Joe Burrow has been able to do. You know what I'm saying? The the swagginess that he got, I I appreciate that. 
you know. But back to back to what what you were saying. Name me one of your best uh, sporting events, and I'll say mine. Best sporting events, or what sporting event? See, but I look at it differently. Why? Because. I don't look at it like a fan or attending games. Like my job now is to be in the studio. Mm-hmm. I don't get to go to too many games. I get to go to the Super Bowl every year. I'm going to the combine. I'm going to the owners meetings. I'm going to the draft. The draft to me is a great sporting event right. that you wouldn't ordinarily think of. But it's exciting because there's hope for 32 teams. Everybody thinks their guy is the guy. And he's given that guy hope. Right. So you're showing up, and the NFL has done an unbelievable job at putting it in these cities. It used to be every year mm-hmm. in New York City. Right, and it's been, it was the Jets dominated. It was the Giants right. dominated. Right, and that was always part of the fun, listening to the Jets and yeah. Giants fans right. agonize over their team's picks. Right. Now they've taken the draft. They've gone to Chicago. They've right. gone to Dallas. They've Vegas gone to year. Cleveland. Right. They're going to Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. They went to Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. They're going to Kansas City. Correct. So... They take it on the road now, mm-hmm. and and it's a huge event. It's a huge deal right. wherever the draft is. Big when you're deal. in New York, mm-hmm. it's spring in New York. Okay, there's so mm. much going on. Right. When the draft is in another city, it feels like it's the biggest deal in town. Right. So I would say the draft to me, where there's actual news happening, where mm-hmm. there's selections being right. made, where there's hope given to all these teams, mm-hmm. that to me stands out more than going to a playoff game mm-hmm. or a Final Four. I don't get to go to that anymore. I like going to the Masters. Really? I've, I've gotten never into been. golf. I've gotten into, oh, you never been? Never been. You know, last year. In and two, I'm from Atlanta, so it's well, like well, that's what I'm saying. a lot of traffic. I went for the first time in 2020, and I couldn't believe how many quarterbacks there were roaming the grounds. Now, I went in a year during the pandemic mm. when it was virtually empty. I think it was 20% capacity. Mm-hmm. But everywhere I went, there were a bunch of quarterbacks. You missed out because right. it was fun. And to watch these guys and do what they do, mm-hmm. man, they're awesome. So I would say the, the, my favorite sporting event was, the, was really two. And I'm going I'm to I'm I'm dip my uh, barbecue sauce and honey mustard. <laughs> right. Number one was Miami and Ohio State National Championship. And Orange lit- Bowl, right? Wasn't it the Orange Bowl? Orange Bowl. And, I, and well, Fiesta Bowl. It was the Fiesta Bowl. I told it was it was a Fiesta Bowl. Yeah, it was a Fiesta Bowl. And I told I told uh, Ken Dorsey, who coached me in Carolina. Now he's got shout out to Ken, who just got promoted as the uh, OC yeah. for the Bills. I told him like, man, I look up to you. I, you know, I wanted to be him. He had Andre Johnson, he had Willis McGahee, Frank Gore, all these different athletes, and here I am you know, as a kid and real tears came. And I remember like being in a, being in a very religious household, we said a prayer for Willis McGahee. Yeah, that was unbelievable that night. When, when he tore his knee up and was, it was remarkable Brutal. to see how he bounced back from it and had an amazing NFL career after that. But I cried because I wore two in my, my, younger, my younger days because of Willis McGahee. He had the smoked out mirror visor, and I was like, man, I want to be that right there. You know what I'm saying? So between the Ohio State, um, Ohio State, Miami Hurricanes National Championship, and then the uh, Texas and USC. Oh, man. Uh, oh, man. National Championship. It was just like gripping. And see, and see, I can remember where I was 
for each of those games. Mm. I was on a date in Denver no. during, during the Miami Ohio State game, <laughs> and and the USC Texas game. I was flying from Los Angeles to Seattle, Los Angeles to Seattle for a a football game or a story to mm -hmm. sit down. But I was on the plane. I landed, and they said that uh, Texas had upset USC. Right. And, and who would have thought that that was going to happen That's at that crazy. time, right? It was unbelievable. And I just remember, you know, the, the the person who Reggie Bush was and is still, man, it was a, it was so iconic. He was so electrifying, so so like bold to do some of the moves that he did. And then he tried to throw the throw the pitch back in, in the actual real game. Yeah, you know, that's something that he got kind of. Um, you know, backlash. Th th those games are they, they become moments of you remember where you were. Yes. They really do. That and, yes. and that's also what great sporting moments do. Correct. You remember where you were, what your mood was, you can remember all the things that come along with it. Right, right. To so, me. Yeah. So I mean, let's just be honest. You know, sports brings a lot of people together and it brought us together, and I'm, 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 I'm blessed to be able to say that I can share this opportunity with you. I'd be remiss if I, didn't, if I didn't bring this up, and I think it's important for people to kind of understand. Like, we both have been guilty of being slandered in the media in some way, shape, form, or fashion, right? And especially in your position and in my position, social media does so much good, right? So much social media does so much good for uh, enhancing, you know, getting the story out. But for me, I think there has been times where it's like, man, I shouldn't have pressed that button. Or there's been times where it's like, golly, I didn't mean it that way. So when you're and when you're when you have so much power that you have, right? And from a viewer who's looking at it from a and I, and I have access to to younger kids. I have a 707 All-Star team which I just partnered with overtime with. Uh, that 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 you help get the word out. Perfect example. And it's like I'm always reminding them. It's like, bro, mm. you have a following. Do right by your following. And sometimes, and I we said this off camera. It's like, what puts me at ease is I know my heart. I know my intentions. And I know even with you taking a chance today, I said, Adam, I'm not a journalist. <laughs> I, I, I'm a person who just loves people and loves having conversation. And what could you tell the viewer from the mistakes that you've had and what what you've learned from it and how could it have been avoided in your opinion? Well, I just think that with that medium, there comes a great responsibility mm -hmm. and you have to be very, very thoughtful and you do the best you can and sometimes inevitably, that's not good enough. Right. And so you have to just be that much more thoughtful mm -hmm. and careful with everything and you remind it again and again, we're all human. We all are human. We all make yeah. mistakes. You know, I remember speaking to a couple of people, lawyers or agents, and I'm like, yeah, you ever do something and you make a mistake mm -hmm. on the language of it? And they're like, you're right. And I said, and you think about it, right? Yeah. Right. Well, guess what? Same. That's what happens. In this field. And for 16 years, I was a newspaper writer. Think about this also. What? I was a newspaper guy for 16 years. You didn't know that? No. Really? No. no. And uh, where, where was this? In Denver. Denver. Born and raised in Denver? No. Born and raised in New York, but moved out to Colorado in 1990 and spent almost 16 years covering the NFL and the Denver Broncos. Mm. I moved out there at the age of 23, didn't know anybody. Right. And so that's, that's 
where professionally, mm -hmm. professionally this started. Of course, went to Michigan and Northwestern Graduate School, but Denver, I, I always tell people I got my undergraduate degree from University of Michigan. Mm -hmm. I got my graduate degree from Northwestern, mm -hmm. but I got my master's in football from the Denver Broncos. <laughs> okay. Being around them. Right. And it was, it was different back then. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd be at training camp, training camp be three, four weeks at mm -hmm. a time. Right. Two, two real tour days. Real tour days. And we were staying in the dorms and you'd have, I'd have breakfast, lunch, dinner around the players, mm -hmm. around the coaches. You'd be in the same area. Right. It, it just was a lot more personal. You get to know people. Mm -hmm. It's not like that anymore. Right. It's, a, it's more of a business. It's way more of a and business. I, I think the person who kind of mentioned how things have changed was uh, my coach, Mike Shula. And obviously his, yeah. his father was Don Shula. And he, his whole life has just been around the game, you know. And when he was saying, uh, I, I was teasing him about, you know, just what's cool and what's not cool. I was the inaugural or self-appointed swag coach on the team. And I was like, coach, no, nah, you know, we're going to have to get, you're going to have to find you for that outfit. You know what I'm saying? You're coming on the team playing, wear it looking like that. And I would love the conversations that we would have. He would say, man, I remember a time, this league has changed, where at the end of the games, going back to you know, our respective cities after the game, they used to give you a, a, a case of beer wow. and, a, and some cigarettes. And you could smoke it on a plane. Yeah. So just imagine 46 to 53 players on top of the personnel smoking cigs, you know what I'm saying, just having a good time. Well, but well, now you can Back do in the day... Players had to get jobs during the offseason. Yeah. Their jobs weren't to be football players right, year-round. They right, had to go right, do right. something mm -hmm. before they got back to it. So it just goes to show you how the sport has evolved, changed, grown. The money in it has increased. And so you may have been five, ten years before your time in terms of the money. Because mm. the that money is, is going crazy for quarterbacks. That is true. Right? That is true. But even then, I always tell people, it's like, I got, I got – you know, I was the sacrificial lamb, for so to speak, because my year was the lockout year. You know, the year that. before, I think, was it Sam Bradford? Who oh, so, you, so you're right. Oh, so you were the first I was the first quarterback. quarterback. The first person. Under literally, the new CBA the where the rookie wages were limited. Right. Mm -hmm. So that cost you guaranteed money. Yeah. A lot of guaranteed money. A lot. A lot. So literally, not just the first quarterback. Not just the first, first overall the pick. First overall pick. So it affected so me. So Sam Bradford got how much? He got about fifty million dollars guaranteed, mm -hmm. if, my, if my memory serves me correct. Right. Your first contract guaranteed was twenty-two. So that twenty-eight, twenty-eight roughly, twenty-eight million guaranteed. The new CBA cost you. Right. And then we had to. You had to uh, sign. You couldn't sign after your deal was up. They, the team, reserved right. the right to sign your fifth year. Right. So you had to wait five more years, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, like, here we go. But needless to say, man, I've been blessed. Like, this game of football has rewarded me so much. And like I said, anytime I have opportunity to be around my kids, we just left, left a, uh, a tournament this past weekend in Knoxville, and I was, um, we had teaching moments where it's like, man, listen, you can't do that. You can't do certain things. And a lot of people, I've gotten so close to my children not my biological children, but my all-star kids, mm. that they don't see me as Cam Newton. They see me as Coach Cam, or they see me as Cam, right? 
And when we go different places and I'm actually coaching them and I'm actually there on the bus traveling with the team, I'm actually in the hotels living with the teams. And, you know, they lose that thrill of knowing like, oh, my God, like our coach is a public figure. And oftentimes people will run up to you and, and, and you'll have a mishap where somebody will say, you know, can we take a picture? And I always ask, are you asking me to take a picture or are you telling me to take a picture? There's a difference. If you're asking me, I reserve the right to say no. But if you're telling me, you're automatically saying, take this picture or I'm going to bash you. Or I'm going to really? say something. Of course, it happens all the time. So how do you deal with when you're with your seven children, when you're with your family, mm -hmm. when you're with dinner, when you're wherever you are, coaching your team, and people come up? There, there's... There seems to be a time and a place for it, right? It, there are certain times it's appropriate, and certain times it feels inappropriate. Right. So how do you handle? First it? off, my rule is: if I'm eating, I'm not taking, I'm not stopping. If I'm with my children, I'm not. I need to be a dad, you know, because there's times where I mean, I've thrown for 117 yards, threw for multiple interceptions, sack, strip, and I come home, and I only first thing you hear is "Daddy." It puts everything into perspective. But then I've also threw for 300 yards, multiple touchdowns, multiple rushing touchdowns, and I come home and somebody's crying, and then an instant you go in instant dad mode. So, but if that person asks you, and that person's a big Cam Newton fan, mm -hmm. and you're with your family, and they don't understand that, and you say, "Yeah, I'm not taking a picture, I'm not signing," now they remember you in a different light. Correct. So it's it's it, man, I have it memorized in my in my memory bank. If a person comes up to me, let's say if a person comes up to me right now and say, "Hey, Cam," Can I get a picture? I'm like, man, listen, I'm with my kids right now, man. I appreciate you for understanding. This is a very tender moment for me. I just want to be dead. Oh, man. You know, I, I, I get it. Most people will get it. Yep. You know, but you have these horror stories that kind of take place, and it's just like, bro, like, I don't owe you nothing. Like, I, I, I need to be a father to my children more so than I need to be a fan to you. And I look at it like, if you're going to judge me off one instance where I'm human, then you wasn't a fan from the jump. Because there are certain people that you can give a, a drip of water to and they'll be forever thankful. And then there's other people that you can give the ocean to and then they still, well, I want the Pacific too. You know what I'm saying? There are some crazy situations that come up. It is what it is. So, I mean, going back to the topic of knowing the platform, right? Mm -hmm. I'm always reminding people left and right that once it's sin, it's hard to recant it. You dig, you dig what I'm saying? And for me, I've been burned for things that I've said. And I'm like, I'm saying to myself, it's like, golly, I wish everybody would understand my intentions for. And sometimes you, you, you don't have that opportunity to do so. But in a way, I think people are owed to know that it wasn't said out of malice. It never was said to bring any type of equality or, or hurt or any pain to nobody. We all are entitled to our own opinions, right? And the thing that, that the day and time that we live in, we are expected to be perfect in an imperfect world. But as one of my bosses said to me, one of my dear friends, he said to me, other people's perceptions mm. are your reality. Wow, hey, that's player right there. <laughs> That's player. So if they perceive it, if they perceive that you're wrong or they perceive that I'm wrong, yeah. then the reality is right. you're wrong and I'm wrong. Right. And so I always think 
My job is to dispense information. Mm -hmm. So there's a reason I'm on social media. I try to dispense information there. Right. I've always wondered with athletes, to me, mm -hmm. I know that they want to exercise their muscles and whatnot, but I always think if I'm an athlete, the only reason I'm going on Twitter or social media mm -hmm. is to praise my teammates, my coaches, my organization, right. promote my charity, and short of that, my life, I'm keeping it to my life. Right. But it's, it's limiting, it's confining. Right. Mm -hmm. I understand that, but I just see what happens sometimes. Mm -hmm. I think to that point when I was saying earlier that it's hard to, to use the platform that we do have by allowing people to understand that we don't have the luxury that Steph Curry has. We don't have the luxury that LeBron James have. We don't have the luxury that Paul George may have or any basketball players because they see their faces. They're able yeah. to see, like I think the dopest thing that I've seen LeBron James do, in my honest opinion, is show up to Bronny's games. I don't even know Bronny, never met him. But I'm like, man, just to share that father moment where you can, you know, and you have kids, you know, it's like there's a proud father moment, there's a proud family moment where it's just like, man, that's my boy, that's my daughter, that's my girl right there. And you use social media to tell that, to do that. And even then, it's like when you're in a position where only thing people care about is the weekly interviews of Cam, mm. you know, what, what does the, this team look like? What does the Seattle Seahawks, you know, kind of give you to prepare for? You know, what are you thinking about the Atlanta Falcons? What do you, uh, you know, what is this something that you're getting prepared for for the New Orleans Saints? And it's like, yeah, that's my job, but I'm a human. I'm a dad. You know what I'm saying? Would you not rather see any of your seven children succeed, star, conquer, mm -hmm. have a great game on the team that you're coaching? Wouldn't that be as meaningful, if not more meaningful to you, than anything you could do on the football field? It is. Of course. There was an incident this year mm -hmm. where I got home from a Monday night game in Pittsburgh, mm -hmm. and I remember walking in my house at 8 a.m. Uh, the alarm rang. Uh, oh, the, you know, the alarm rang in Pittsburgh about 3.30, got picked up at 4, mm. went to the airport for a 6 o'clock flight in Pittsburgh, flew home, walked in, I'm exhausted, I want to go to bed, and my daughter had done work this year for Nickelodeon, wow. doing a weekly interview. She was their NFL correspondent. Right. And they called that day and the regular host was sick, couldn't come in, they wanted to know could she come into New York City and host the show with Nate Burleson. Wow, is that the slime? The uh, slime time. Yeah. So they sent her some lines to practice in the car, mm -hmm. and she starts reading it, I'm going, oh my God, and I'm watching her on mm. the set and I am way, way more nervous and anxious watching her than I ever would be right. for anything that, that I've ever done. That you had to do. Well, except for at the start of my career. But yes, yeah. modern day, anything mm -hmm. I would do now, right. nothing compared to watching her. Correct. The nerves, things, mm -hmm. and all that mattered to me was seeing her mm -hmm. crush it that day. Right. And she did. Right. And there's nothing that makes you feel more proud right. as a parent mm -hmm than seeing your child right. succeed. Absolutely. And even, I mean, let's, let's just be frank. That's what I'm battling right now. As a free agent, there's teams calling and I'm getting interest, but I'm like. You have to leave your kids. I believe, like, it's not, they can't go anywhere, they can't. They're at an age now, I've always, I've always kind of looked at it like, 
and I and I respect the people who protect this country, but military kids, they travel so much. Mm-hmm. I never wanted that to be my my child to be able to you know, start in one school, then go to another school. The children need stability, right? And it was my job and my and how I felt and how I feel not to take anything away from anybody else and how what their family demographic and dynamic was. But for me personally, I just wanted to give my my children stability to say, you guys are going to stay here because on one front, it's easier for me to travel you know what I'm saying? Back and forth rather than all eight of us. But but on a weekend, let's say you're playing Seattle. Mm -hmm. I'm just using a team. Correct. Could they fly in on the weekend themselves and then fly back? The age difference is so so broad because there's a 10-year gap between, you know, a lot of them. And the older ones, yeah, they get it. I was just in L.A. doing a business trip with them and... You know, they just love like, man, you just go. We just want to go to the mall and run around and then you just do the, the FaceTime checkup. Right, so they, they don't care as much about being in the game. So how do you know right. when it's the right time to go take an offer or an opportunity that one of these teams presents when it's calling mm-hmm. and leave your family behind? Or do you just say, you know what, there's not enough money they could pay me to leave the family behind? I think I'm at a position right now where, I'll be honest, Salary cap or, or, or lockout or no lockout, the game of football has been extremely good to me. And I mean, great. So you don't have to work again? I don't have to work again. Okay. Right? So now? So now it's all about do I... selective. But then, it put, it, then the question may be asked is, do you still love the game? Absolutely. There's nothing... I mean, it brought tears to my family. It brought tears to my producers. My almost to myself, if I wasn't in this, you know, phase of, you know, I'm about to play a game. When I went back to Charlotte and came out the tunnel and was introduced, that was probably top five memories in my life. Wow. That, wow. you know, I wouldn't say the forgotten son, but the, 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 the returning son. The returning son. And it was just euphoric just to be able to you know, walk around and see like, man, baby, I'm home. I miss you. You know what I'm saying? And now being in the position where, you know, we have so many different options, but at the same time, my children weren't able to come to that game. You know, they seen it. Some of them saw it and it was just like, uh, and my son may have had a track meet or had a football game. Which is what happens as they get older. There's more and more events. You're missing out on more and more. So if you didn't play, Another down. Mm-hmm. What would you then do? Um, I'll do this. By the way, you can do this. Right. You can do this. Right. You're good. I'll, and the thing is, and even to You're lure good. you, even to lure you to get you to come here, and I was like, man, Adam, I promise yeah, you. It's a lure, bro, man. Like, it's just not no, easy. It's just it's, life. It's not. It's not. And I understand. I've done enough interviews to know, like, man, it's dry. You know, and, and I've been burnt before. It takes a person to be burnt in the kitchen to really know how to cook in the kitchen. Right, but the best meals are the ones that are just natural. They right. just sort of happen. Right, right. Right, no one's looking to burn anybody or Correct. do anything. You're just looking to sit down right. with a friend right. and enjoy a nice meal together with Correct. some nice comfort. That's all. Correct. It's not hard. Correct. So even with me, I think people know me as this. But it's so much to me. And I want to tell the world, it's like, man, look, you guys know me as that, 
I'm not that. I'm that to a degree, but I also just want to have genuine conversation with people. And I think the thing that makes this different than Club Shay Shay, that makes this different than I Am Athlete, that makes this completely different than any other thing that's kind of on the market right now, the pivot, is I don't want to just be, you know, athlete or athletic based. You know, I want to tap into culture. I want to bring people together. I want to, I want to serve and, and, and be a servant to empowering people to really understand why certain people act and move the way that they move. Well, that's what you said. You want to talk about empowering people. Yes, sir. Right, that's important to you. Mm -hmm. And it seems like this is a great vehicle for you to do that. Absolutely. And you've got a gift. And I watched that introduction. <laughs> and I couldn't do that. So you, so you know what? You, do, you can do two things that I can't. Mm. You can play quarterback yeah. and you can introduce a podcast well, better than I can. I can say I owe a lot of that to the, uh, the way I was raised. I'm born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia. And that's the land of the finesse scammers, and the juggers. And I could get milk from a cow. You know what I'm saying? And I, I can. Could, I could sell milk to a cow. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I could sell Bibles to a preacher. You so so for me, I think that's a that's an art, but it comes with a lot of responsibility and a lot of trust. And you you gave me that opportunity. My last question for you is, is um, who taught you the game? Who was like the the person who kind of put you on? Because for me, contrary to popular belief, I would say, and I'm gonna give him his flowers right now. The person who really taught me the game of football was Derek Anderson, my backup. Mm. And D.A., man, he was just this, this easy-loving hippie, you know what I'm saying? You know, for, for, but people didn't know that. You know, he was the one that would come in with his shoes off and just be like, hey, fella, hey, let me tell you, hey, just look at it like this. If these safeties roll down, the, 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 the things that they're kind of giving away, the movement keys, if every single time 23 is rolling down, it's going to be cover three. And he simplified the game for me. So I, when I got the MVP in 2015, it was off of Derek Anderson, Joe Webb, you know, guys who was my support cast that kind of taught me how to act, that taught me how to prepare, taught me how, hey, bro, man, your left guard, he kind of out of it right now. Just go give him some words, you know what I'm saying? So now, even last year, you know, being with Sam, I was like, bro, I know how, I know what you need. See what I'm saying? Like, it's no, there's no contingencies and no hidden motives with, with, with how I'm rocking and rolling. I want you to understand that, bro, like, you're, I'm seeing something that you're not, and I just want to help. So who taught you the game? Well, you've been taught the game a different way than I've been taught the game. Mm -hmm. And the way I've been taught the game is to kind of cover the game. Mm. And so I've never fashioned myself as an X's and O's guy to understand and see the things that you're seeing on the right. field. But the way that I have learn the game is through the eyes of coaches and executives across the league, agents across the league, players and reporters. Mm. And so I see it almost as a business and I see it as people and I see it as all those factors coming together. The X's and O's that happen, the plays that unfold on Sunday, mm -hmm. I know that's central mm. to the game that most people know and love. But what I'm interested in is how a coach and a quarterback interact. Yeah. How a coach draws it out of a player. What is the reason that a player rose up on a certain Sunday? How does a player get through an injury? Why did a team trade this guy? Why did the team decide to extend this player and not that player? Right. 
How does it fit into the salary cap? So I'm thinking of those things. Mm -hmm. And the people that taught me the game, there's so many people. Right. As I said, I got my master's in Denver. Mm -hmm. So I was around Mike Shanahan. Mm -hmm. I was around John Elway. I was around Ed McCaffrey, who had yeah, his Christian. four boys running around a training camp, <laughs> yeah. little boys, right. who at that point were up to my knees, and now they're well, much bigger than me. Right. And so there are so many people that I've intersected and crossed paths with. I think of Dan Reeves, a former Broncos coach yes. who passed away within yes. the last year. He was, the Falcons. he was the Falcons head coach. And there are things that I learned. There was a Broncos media relations assistant uh, actually, their senior VP of communications, Stephen Drummond in Denver, a guy by the name of Jim Sakamano, who taught me so much mm. just being around him. And you have to understand, I moved out to Denver at the age of 23. I'm by myself. Right. I didn't know many people in Colorado. I would live out of the Broncos building, and I would be around the players and the coaches mm -hmm. and the people in the front office and the executives and the media relations people. And I just watched and absorbed everything. Mm -hmm. They all taught me the game the way that I know it, right. which is different than the way you know it. Right, right. So even then, it's like, I would like to, you know, tell you, number one, you've changed the game. You've changed the game, and I, my man Wooj, the, the, the basketball version. My of, dear friend, of, I love of, that of, game. You, you know Wooj? Right, no, I don't, I don't, but I know his, his work, you know what I'm saying? He's the reporter that kind of is the breaking news for the basketball sector. But even then, like, for you to give so much opportunity to the people who, and I always say, there's so many people that respect your work so much. Wow. And they would never tell you. But for you to be able to say breaking news from Adam Schefter's, and when you see uh, your, your, your Twitter handle with the blue check, you already know you can take it to the bank. And, you know, with that, man, it comes with a lot of responsibility, as you also know. And for people that's coming up in the ranks, that they may not have the, the knowledge that you may have, but they have the desire that you have. Because they may not be able to, to run a fast forward. They may not have the size, the God-given strength, or the speed, or whatever, but they can... They have the admiration to say, you know what, man, I want to grow up to be an Adam Schefter. You know, I want to be a first reporter to dropping and breaking news in, in that sense, man. And, you know, you've impacted the game in a positive well, let, let me say this, that there were so many great reporters that came before me. Mm. Like, I don't know if you know Will McDonough mm -mm. and Chris Mortensen. I do know Chris. And Peter King and John Clayton and Lynn Pascarelli. And there were some unbelievable reporters. And I've just tried to follow along in what they've done. But in a social media age, mm -hmm. which is a little bit different. And there are people that have been much smarter than me, more talented than me, but there aren't many more people that wanted it as much as mm -hmm. me. That, that I will say, that I was always very determined and driven. But I don't have many skills, yeah. I don't have many talents, but it's always mattered to me and it's always been very important to me. Mm -hmm. It's been important to try to do right by people, to be fair, for them to understand your heart. Correct. Right? Hey, I say this. I say this, I have to ask this question. Have to ask this question. How do you merge relationships? Because you are in a relationship business. You do right by so many different people to protect their identity because multiple sources say, <laughs> right? Yeah. Take me through out of respect of protecting the interests of I, people. I almost think it's become just kind of regular like yeah. you just talk to people and you're just doing your job and they mm -hmm. know and 
And, and so I even called the name of my fancy football team, my fancy basketball team. It's Per Sources. Uh. Those, those are the names of my fancy teams. Um, I, I just think people don't like to be identified. They don't right. want to know that they're the ones that are sharing information. And you try not to compromise people. Correct. Um, but at this time, at this particular point in time, people know that, you know, we have to get it out. And I think having access to people like you, they get it out in a way that they control the narrative. And it's important. So I don't want people to look at this and be like, well, he's the first one that wants to say it. But it's also people that saying, you know what, we have to get ahead of this steamboat, you know, before it kind of gets out of hand. And I remember the first time I met you. We was at a hotel. In Indianapolis. Know, Indianapolis. At the Super Bowl. At the elevator. And yes, I, boom, I, that's, I remember that too. Yeah, you walked out it and was you was like. Was that your rookie year? Yes, yeah, yes. You walked out and he was like, hi, Cam, man, it's Adam. And I was like, duh, I know who, obviously, you are, man. He's like, if you ever need anything so professional. And I was like, bruh, you know, I, uh, we was, it was late at night. I was just now leaving the ESPN party. And it was, that's just what the, I mean, that's what the Super Bowl kind of does. It brings so many different people together. And I remember you meeting, and he was like, man, I'm going to give you my information, and anytime you, you want to use me for anything, I'll protect you in, in a very discreet way that you know that uh, I Did have. I say that to you? Bro, to those degree, I can't verbatim, but <laughs> you made it, and it's, it's other people that came up to me and even got my number in a way that I, did, I wouldn't have probably ever approved, and, you know, I didn't feel protected. You know what I'm saying? And you're talking to a person, I man, I done been through a lot of stuff through the media. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I don't shy away from it. So when you're talking about you got a career in this. But we never had any contact till, till now. That is true. <laughs> that is true. See, so right. it wasn't very effective, whatever I said. But I never, it was that I said. But I never, because I, I'm able to control my own narrative with Iconic Saga, my production company, and people who I feel as if, like, if you're going to scrutinize me in, in a story, I do better coming out with it in my own in my own way. I think you see that in with the Players Tribune, I Am Athletes, those platforms. Um, right. And, you know, people are able to, you know, kind of get ahead of certain things before and tell their story. Um, and, oh, can't, can't forget to mention, like, un, uninterrupted. Like, these are platforms that put athletes in the forefront to be able to say, what you meant to say and what you wanted to say when you didn't have the opportunity to say or you didn't say it in your right way. So, yeah. I, I, I remember meeting you. I don't remember that. But I, I do know that I say to people, hey, if uh, you ever want to talk or mm -hmm. I can communicate with you or I'm here, you yes. let me know. That, that's the way I remember it. Mm -hmm. And uh, like I said, it, it couldn't have left that much of a mark because you never followed up on it. Well, it is what it is. 13 years, 13 or 12 years But later, here we are now. Here we are now, and I appreciate it. So as we end things, as we always end things at Funky Friday, both members, the interviewer and the interviewee, looks at this camera. Let's start with this camera. So you're going to look at here. You got to do it with me. Oh, I'm yes, sorry. Sir, I'm right. sorry. I'm sorry. One finger. One pinky. One thumb. Okay. Let's try one more time. Here we go. You're dealing with a very slow, middle-aged guy I got who's you. not very hip. I got okay? you. I'm about to make you hip, Adam. <laughs> Here we go. We're going to look at this one. One more time. One finger. One pinky. One thumb. One love, man.
Appreciate you, Mr. Schefter. Thank you, Mr. Newton. Thank you, buddy. Boom. Appreciate you. Yes, sir. Man, I would like to take this time to thank the beautiful people at Davidoff for supplying this beautiful space right across the street from the World Trade Center. And if you're wondering what cigar that I'm smoking, I'm smoking on the best, the Royal uh, Salomon. And it was aged for 8 to 12 years. Uh, Dominican, Ecuador blend uh, by eight of the finest cigar rollers. And anything that takes that long to make, 12 years, has to be the best. And if you want to cop one of these, please visit your nearest Davidoff or cigar shop to pick it up today.